I believe everyone has a story to tell. Through seeking true, authentic insights about the entrepreneurial journey, I provide a platform for our peers to share their stories and inspire those that listen. This is the County Business Talks podcast, produced by H2 Productions. Okay, welcome to another episode of the podcast. My guest this week is a keynote speaker on technology, speaking at more than 200 global events. He's interviewed and conducted fireside chats with names such as Kim Kardashian, Sir Tim Berners-Lee, Steve Wozniak, twice, twice. <laughs> um, and more at the world, world's best tech events. He was previously a weekly tech columnist for Forbes in New York, The Telegraph in, in the UK, and contributed to FT, MIT Tech Review, Mashable, Wired, New, Newsweek, TechCrunch, The Guardian, The Independent, Times of India, and many more. Times of India, that, yeah, true. <laughs> he continues to write regularly for the BBC and The Economist, and a weekly column on finance for City AM. He has appeared in two Bollywood movies as an actor. Love that. And, and over the past decade has worked as a strategist with 25 companies and created an accumulated value of $1.2 billion through Series A and D funding and exits. I thought, I'll wear a few hats, mate. Well, that's good. <laughs> it makes me sound good. I am delighted to welcome Monty Mumford to the podcast. Monty, how you doing, mate? All right, Sam, I'm high. I'm big, <laughs> Brent, big Brentford fan. Mate, you're buzzing at the minute, Yeah, we beat Liverpool last night. I was there with my son. We hadn't wow. beaten them since 1938. You know, it was just insane. Did he end up 3-1, was it 3? 3-1, yeah. And, and we've beaten United 4-0 at home. We've beaten City 2-1 away. I mean, we're getting quite serious now. These are not so what you got up to? 7th or something? 7th. And we're looking up, man, not down. You know what I mean? <sighs> Mate, I wow. Mean, but four games. Away to City, home to Spurs, home to Liverpool. Let's not mention the Spurs. If oh, sorry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, you were lucky to get a point. <laughs> yeah, yes? Like, Would you agree? Uh, I, I, I would yes. agree. But we'll, we'll skip over that. We'll skip over that. All right. Well, yeah. <laughs> Mate, buzzing then. Buzzing for you. Look nice. behind you. Things are coming <laughs> to get you. Yeah. So I'm in a very, 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 very good mood, mate. Mate, very love good. that. Love that. Listen, look, we only met recently. We, we obviously we grabbed a, a lunch and I, I just fascinated by... I was put in touch with some, obviously, some mutual friends. Yeah. Um, mate, just fascinated by your journey and story. And I, look, I'm just I'm buzzing to have you on and, and let, let's crack on. Absolutely. Thanks for the invitation. Um, awesome. I hope I don't let you down. Mate, no, I'm sure not. I'm sure not. Well, look, let's jump in. I want, I want to start your story, really. Look, tell me a bit about what life was growing up. And I want to know, like, something about your early years has sort of shaped you today? Blimey, good question. Um, uh, lower middle class parents, I would say. Uh, Mum was young when she had me, 21. Dad was 30, he was an ex-sailor in the Navy. Um, then three sisters after me. So I, I suppose I was a little bit privileged as the only boy, born on a Sunday. <laughs> it was drilled into me that I was special, which has probably led to some later life narcissism, which I've managed to finally slough off um yeah so it was so it was a it was a you know it was a perfectly normal west london family born in twickenham um when i got into a really good school there was a school there called hampton grammar um i went to trafalgar um infant um, sorry primary school uh, and eight of us out of 120 got into hampton grammar which was amazing but then it kind of turned a little bit because when i went into the fourth year at school um it became hampton school so mm. all of the existing pupils uh, didn't pay, but anyone that came in in the first year paid. Um, I, funnily enough, I went to the, my 50th year reunion oh, the really? first day, 
um, to see, and it was just extraordinary that time, it's 50 years since we walked up that path and all that stuff. It's a very profound experience, actually. Um, but I think, and I said this at the reunion, that a few people in my year got a bit hoity-toity over the summer. They've been talking to mummy and daddy, you know, Karen and Ken or whatever. Uh, we go to, you know, we go to public school now. You know, it's like, well, I mean, I nearly swore there. But, you know, whatever. You were just like me. You were clever when you were 11. That's all. That's the reason we got into yeah. that school. Um, and I didn't grow. That was another thing. I was four foot. When I was 16, I was four foot nine. And when I did A-levels, I was five foot two. So my nickname was Ronnie. Ronnie Corbett. You know, which is <laughs> ironic now that I'm six foot two. <laughs> uh, and I did mention that at the reunion. You know what I mean? So yeah. when, they, when they did the picture... They said, uh, yeah, you, t- you, you, that was about 25 of us. You go there, Monty, you're one of the tall ones, go at the back. And it was like, bang, dragon slave, <laughs> right there. Seven years of piss taking. Yeah, dwarf. Love it. Love so, it. yeah, but that was pretty definitive because it was rebellious, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? It was a rebellion. We had a school, uh, uh, next to us was Lady Eleanor Hollis, which had so many pitches. We had so many cricket pitches in the summer, so many football pitches in the winter. And then the comprehensive rectory on the far side had one yeah. football pitch. And it's like, this is not fair. You know what I mean? And, and I suppose early communism, early socialist, early kind of rebellious streaks started just about then. Not fair play. But what, like, in, in them young ages, what, what, um, what did you want to be in, like, at school? What, what did you, was you a dream of what you wanted I to do? I don't know. No. No. I don't think I... My son... Did a career. He's nineteen, nearly twenty at uni, doing zoology at Leeds. Yeah. And he was he did a careers thing at school when he was about fifteen. Uh, and they said, All right, that's what you want to be. And he said, they said to him, there's either a, a driver or a drifter. And you're a driver, and you want to work with animals and zoology. And I said to him, so I'm still a drifter. I still yeah. I'm a writer. I suppose that's my thing. You know what I mean? But I didn't want to be a writer. I didn't read or anything like that when I was younger. I just enjoyed enjoyed myself, really. I didn't really have any plans for the future. No, just I just did things I liked. That's such a refreshing thing. Cause so, like, and it's interesting you talk about that with like the careers type thing in school because people, it's interesting they've said that about your son. They've obviously highlighted that. Yeah, for him. the difference between me and him, very much so. Yeah. I think like, like for me at school, I wasn't that academic, so you sort of come out and I had no clue. Really? If I weren't going to become a footballer, I had no clue what I was going to do. As soon as I didn't quite make it, I had them couple of trials and it didn't come off. You go, okay, I have no clue. And similar to yourself, these, I guess, drift or whatever, but in that sense, just trying different things. And I think we spoke about it when, when we met previously, but like, I guess entrepreneur, being an entrepreneur wasn't necessarily no. a thing back then. Like, you no. go back. I couldn't spell it, didn't know what it, you know, well, you can't spell it now, but, you know, it wasn't encouraged necessarily, so starting your own business or going and trying different things wasn't necessarily encouraged. It well, I think, I think when I was younger, it was kind of frowned upon to be, I mean, I don't know what, I don't know what, who my crowd was or whatever, but to, I mean, I was against Margaret Thatcher, you know, in those days, which side are you on? Yeah, I was yeah. on, certainly on one side. And I, I was, it was almost vulgar. To be, I can't spell entrepreneur either, and I'm a writer. E N T R E P R E N E U R. Yeah, entrepreneur. I think I might have it written here somewhere. Yeah. There <laughs> um, and so, so those, I don't, I don't think anyone really knew what they exist that existed. Mm. Uh, you know, it's a very new word yeah. if you're kind of my age. An entrepreneur. I mean, I don't think I ever heard that word yeah. until I was 25. Yeah. You know, and it's interesting. Like, I want to talk like 
<laughs> obviously I mentioned in in the intro about the the time in obviously being in the Bollywood movies, but take me on to that scene. Too far prior to that, you've wrote. I've travelled the world for twenty years doing stupid things, but also seeing and experiencing the wonders of yeah. the world as it should be. Yeah. T t tell me then, talk me through that. Them twenty years. So you've come out and like you say, not having a dream or an ambition to go and do something, but just going and then travelling the world. Talk to me about them. Well, twenty I, well, years I, well, I, well, I suppose, maybe some of the stupid things that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I suppose it was kind of. It, it was because of the way I behaved at that age. I got a cri small criminal record when I was young. You know what I mean? Like a little like possession of. Uh, smidgen of cannabis when it was a really bad thing you yeah. know what I mean that was on my record um, and I think that might inadvertently created the life I led because I think there were unknown doors closed to me at that time because yeah. I had a criminal record and I think that having a criminal record is one of the best things that you can have uh, if you want to be an entrepreneur because no one's going to have your back you know I mean I've, I, I think I might have had blocks put on jobs because of that even 30 years later wow um but I, I was all about fair. I was, I was all about the world, you know. You know, it's like I wanted to. I wanted to live in a better society than I lived in. My mum and dad were, were decent people, but they weren't exactly exciting. Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean. And my three sisters were: one's a senior academic now, one's you know, was an accountant, another one's you know a new mother. Um, they've all had you know strange lives themselves, um, and I suppose. It was, I just, as I said earlier, just drifted. I did my A-levels. I don't even know what I got in my A-levels. What did you study? What did you study at A-levels? Jesus, geography, economics. Oh, God, I don't know. <laughs> I can't remember. See, I, yeah, but I just, it wasn't that I wasn't academic. Like you said, you, yeah. you were, oh, well, we all wanted to be footballers, but I think that dream stopped when I realised <laughs> I was never going to grow ever again <laughs> as a goalkeeper. Um, and so I just, Drifted, uh, you know, women, girls. Yeah, I suppose yeah. that was probably the be all and end all. And then a mate of ours from the pub, um, he'd gone to Israel on the kibbutz, you know. And things weren't that. I mean, things weren't that good, you know. Nineteen seventy nine, eighty, eighty one. Before I went, you know, it was a massive. You know, it was a little bit what we're living through at the moment. It was. Yeah. It wasn't so much inflation had passed a little bit, but and I think this will probably will happen here. As an A-level economist, economist, <laughs> let me tell you, <laughs> not. Um, but it was all about unemployment, you know, yeah, and yeah. getting a job. And even though I was in kind of southwest London in Twickenham, you know, there wasn't a lot there, you know, jobs, you yeah, know, what yeah, I mean, yeah. signing on and all that stuff. And I didn't want to sign on because I thought that was free money. Uh, and and so uh, a mate of ours went to him and Phil. Yeah, they went to the. Um, Mallorca, mate of ours, Phil, had a kind yeah. of posh uncle there. So we went home after two weeks, and then Phil and Paul stayed there. Then walked over the Pyrenees. Uh, Paul got the you know the bug for travelling, went on the kibbutz on his own, and then just sent me a letter. Um, and I read it just before I went to the pub on the Sunday to play football, and just like I was drunk in Bethlehem. Oh wow, I'm living on this farm, and there's all these girls, girls again. So then I said to my mate, I said, this is going in the back of my motorbike, let's just drive to Israel. And he didn't want to do that. So eventually there were four of us. We went to this agency in London. And then I think it was February 82 or 83. We got, a, got the equivalent of a magic bus to Athens, got a boat, three-day boat to Haifa, and went on this kibbutz and worked the land, you know, worked in the kitchens, you know, all in a very... How, how old were you then? 22. 
22. I stayed for six months. My mates, who were, there was nothing against them, but we were going in different directions. And yeah. I, I, I embraced it. They were just a little bit, you know, a bit yobby about it, to be honest. So they left and I stayed. And then I kind of grew into my own. I was kind of on my own and I preferred being on my own than being with a crowd. And I yeah. was more myself. And then met a girl, went to Sweden and then just rolled on and then went so travelling and went back to Israel. Then I went somewhere else and then I came. I was really into motorbikes. So yeah. it was easy to come back and get a job as a dispatch rider for a few months, save some money and off you go. And it just carried on, carried on. for. It's like some people have gap years. I had a gap two decades <laughs> <laughs> but I was wow. reading all the time yeah. that was the thing was because because I realised that the way that I was taught to learn in school or the cloisters was not for me maybe yeah. the same for you I wanted to be a yeah. professional footballer we all did or a f football journalist you know <laughs> yeah. failed on that one as well <laughs> Um, but it was like when I realised that I could learn at, my, learn at my own pace and whenever I wanted and then would meet some crazy people that I wanted to be like when I was travelling. You should read Herman Hess, you should read Dostoyevsky, you should read Ayn Rand. I just kind of went word of mouth of all these, you know, and seeing amazing places while I was reading amazing books, while I was with amazing people and occasionally with most, you know, beautiful women, I suppose. Um, and that was that seemed to me the way to live. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't bumming or drifting when I was travelling. Yeah. I was learning, you know, and I've just went on a week long hard travel trip to Egypt with my nineteen year old. Uh, we went to Cairo. I speak Arabic, kind of picked that up on the way as well. And actually, I do speak Arabic because I hadn't spoken it for ages, but I really was talking it this time. Wow. It, was, it just came back. It was a really nice feeling actually. And we went up and down, um, and we got to Luxor. Uh, and it was just like, Jack, when I was here last time, there wasn't a bridge, there wasn't all of these lights, there was literally one paddle ferry boat that went across, there was no charges to get in, there was hardly any people, you'd see a Bedouin guide give you a tour of the Temple of Karnak, and it was a bit like Vegas, you know. But I think I knew that at that time, that I knew, I wasn't stupid, I knew the world was going to change, I didn't want yeah. it to. I, I, I did think that, technology was going to be rife when I was older. I did think that the world would be different uh, in a way that I probably wouldn't like. Mm. So I wanted to see the world that I wanted to see while it was still there. And that was reinforced and re-endorsed by this trip to Egypt. You know, mm. great to speak Arabic, great to be in Cairo. That's still manic and hasn't mm. changed. But these tourist spots, you know what I mean? And I'll show Jack, the, the, I'll dig out the photo albums and he won't believe it that that is the same place. And I think that's what I, I wanted to see the world while it was still there. And I'm really, really fucking glad I did. No, you know what? I listen to that and I love it because I think, I, I, I think about my kids now and I think about <clears> them growing up. And, you know, my, my wife, for example, she, she knew from a young age, at 11, I want to be a solicitor. And to get there, she had to go through university, blah, blah, blah. And, now, and she's been a solicitor for the last 20 odd years. Right. Now, where I come out and didn't know, I'd love the kids to come to me rather than go, I am just don't know what I want to do, Dad, I'll go to university and I'll do that. For me, that lifestyle and being able to, because the experiences that you must have had over those 20 years, life experiences that more so than anything you can learn Absolutely. from just in a book, anything you can learn from going to university, anything you can learn, like just travelling the world and going and seeing what an amazing place it is. And but, but I would say... Um, 
I don't think my mum and dad <laughs> would <laughs> pretty agree with that, you know, the stress that I cause well, them, or the, or the worry. But what about if you're... If your son comes to you and wants to, like, he didn't go to university to do a zoo and said, Dad, I'm just going to go and, what would your, but. Well, I think, you know, you know I'm, my, my son's nearly 20 and you're, how old are you? seven, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I wrote him a card when he was about three and just said, the older you get, the wider your shadow is cast. And as your shadow grows, I'll be on the edge of the shadow. You know, yeah. you make your own way. Yeah, but if yeah. anything goes down, then I'm ready to jump in. And as he gets older, obviously the shadow's wider, yeah. but I'm still on the edge. And it hasn't really changed. It's I think what you have to do with your kids, you have to make them independent. Yeah, 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 you know, yeah, he's, sure. he's had a good he's had a good start in life, yeah, and yeah. now it's up to him. You know what I mean? Of course, I'm still on the edge, and I'm jumping yeah, yeah, if needed. Of course. But if you said, yeah, I, I would probably be a bit of a hypocrite because it would be like, but what are you going to do when you do that? Yeah. You know what I mean? And if he says, well, no, I don't know, you know. Well, well, you got to do something, you know. But <laughs> but it took me a few years. I think the first couple of years it was kind of you know doing what you do when you're young, yeah. not really giving a toss about it. But I think when I was about 25, I was in India, and was with some people on the top of a mosque late at night, looking down at Kana, not Kanakalili, Palganj, and there's Aussie blokes going, "Mate, I can't believe it! Look at all the colour! Look at all the noise and the colour and the smells!" And I looked at it and went, "Oh, whatever! I've seen it all before." And that was probably when I started to do something. I was oh, reading, I was writing, because yeah. it, you can't just be there as an observer. You've got to be doing something while you do it. I mean, but, you know, when you're young, earlier than that, just go for it, I suppose. Yeah. Because, yeah, I guess not as romantic as that idea is to mm. to go and travel and see the world. And like you said, it's got to be potentially some purpose. Mm more of a purpose than just going oh like you said because how many places you've seen and then you've seen the world and you've traveled for five years or ten years mm. whatever that looks like and then you go like you said i've seen that before i've seen that so then there's got to be some something that fulfills us i guess and yeah you're right purpose you have to have some purpose i think my one came when i was about 23 and thought right i'm going to be a writer that means i can write about things and i can live like this forever you know because i love living like that yeah. absolutely loved it and it was dangerous sometimes but again, that was also part of the growing up stuff, yeah. you know, being tested. Yeah. You know. Well, then talk, talk to me then about like that fulfilment. So you see, it's writing out of all the different because you, like you said, we're allude, we're going into a little bit more depth in some of the other bits and pieces you do. But now, it's writing. Is that where you get your most fulfilment? Yeah, from? it is. I mean, I, I went around the world in nineteen ninety four when I was about thirty odd. Um, again, presaging technology a little bit or trying to. To front run it, uh, to write a book. Mm. So I had a Mont Blanc pen, and I went to about ten countries, and I wrote a book. It took me three hundred and forty nine days to no less than that actually, about three hundred and ten days to write it. I was in Perth in Australia, Sri Lanka, Pakistan. All of these mad things happened to me while I was doing it, and, mm. and that was all also per, you know percolated into the work itself. But I wrote a book with a pen. You know, and that's probably the greatest thing that I own is that manuscript because it started off with the Dust Bowls of Maturity by Monty Mumford. One page, you know what I mean? And then the next page was five lines. And then halfway through, it was 50 lines a page with a fountain pen because I got it. I'd started to roll, you know what I mean? So I suppose that was a really fantastic year. You know, I ended up in Berkeley in San Francisco with a girl. She lent me a computer, taught me how to use an Apple Mac, you know, and I and I typed it all up. 
I went across the bridge uh, to Vesuvio's, which is a famous restaurant where Jack Kerouac and the Beat Generation used to take drugs and drink. Um, and I was there years before, and I said, I'll be back with a manuscript. And I went in there and just laid the manuscript on the bar. I went, oh, I came back eight years ago. Here's my book. Everyone bought me a drink. It's a perfect place. Wow. Um, and I suppose from that point, when I got serious and I came back, yeah, I bet it was probably the last big trip. And then I kind of moved to Brighton, and then I started, well, if I'm going to be a writer, I might as well learn how to be a writer. And did a couple of courses, did an amazing course at the London College of Printing. Um, I was quite old, I suppose, for the, for the, for the, but it was, you know, 75 people a year. It was a two-month course, in th- two-year course in three months. Yeah. Learn about law, learn about shorthand, get yourself get yourself on your own volition uh, and internment. So I went to the independence sports desk, obviously. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Realised that I, I didn't want to work in football because I was so stuck with football. Yeah. That when I was on the train home reading the Klinsman and taken over at Spurs, yeah. it was just I'd heard it all day. I, well, you have to ch- separate church and state, right? So yeah. Separate football and job or what you love. Um, and and since then I, I learned, you know, I got I, I just about got in before the internet started. I realised that the only way I could catch up twenty years later was with new stuff. Ironically, technology which I'd railed against for forever. Uh, and, and caught up pretty quickly. I was a, I was a communications director on the first series of Big Brother. You know, Victoria yeah. Real was a big company down in Brighton. Um, and and then I had columns, and then I wrote my own newsletter, and I still write um, on my blog and all that stuff. But everything was in practice to write another book. Oh. And in three days' time, uh, with a head full of thoughts and madness, uh, I'm going to Vancouver Island, invited by someone who I met on the previous trip in '94. We had some nice times in the lift, long story. <laughs> uh, she's she's going up north to do some social care with uh, with the Inuits in the Arctic Circle, and I'm looking after her house, and she's told me to go over there and finish my effing book. So it could be that life replicates itself. I get in the, in the woods for seven or eight weeks. I've done 30,000 words, by the way. This is wow. book number two. Uh, and it could be that I type this book, and then I get a flight from Vancouver, San Francisco, and go back to Vesuvio's <laughs> 27 years later for the second time and say, here's my second book. <laughs> so I'm just a hopelessly ridiculous romantic man. That's all I am, you know. Mate, but what, you know what? Out of all the people I sort of interview on here and I talk about on the, on the podcast and listen to the different stories and we talk about entrepreneurial journeys and ups and downs and et cetera and we're going to some sort of challenges and other bits but mm. uh, there's something I've been trying I guess a bit of self-discovery for me last year really like and the podcast helped me with that listening to different po- asking the question what it's all about what we're here for and all, the, all them things and you go but listening to someone like you talk and like life's for living and it's an opportunity that my, my my belief is life's an opportunity and I think I've, I've always I've been a bit of a yes man someone says oh can you do that yeah yeah I'll give that a go uh, not to the scale that you have in, in, a, in a smaller version and you sort of go back just in and around my circle yeah yeah I can do that oh, I'll do that mm-hmm. and then that creates opportunities and that creates experiences that you do in mm-hmm. life and there's something about that that is that romantic side of it that it's actually just what because on our deathbed because you're going to be lying there on your deathbed you look back hold a thought and gone you know what 
look at look at that life, look at that experiences, yeah, look absolutely. at them things that you've done. That there's not going to be regrets. Not that what if? Yeah. What if I'd done that? What if I? Hadn't oh, I don't know. I mean, lots of people say oh, you shouldn't regret. Yeah, and I think we all regret things. We everyone says that, but we always regret certain things. You well, know well, what I mean? Would you say if I said, well, well, well I wish I'd gone that. to South America when I was younger. I've never been to South America. Should have yeah. done that. I had a chance to go with with someone, um, and turn it down for Egypt. I think. But that also means I can still go to South America. In mm. fact, it's on the on the list for the next eighteen months. So yeah, you, you can't. You, you do regret things. It's, it, it depends how you're feeling. Yeah. You know, if you're feeling in a certain way, you do feel regretful. If you're feeling great, like Brentford have just beaten <laughs> Liverpool three one, you don't give a shit. <laughs> you're on top of the world. Eighteen months ago, going through a divorce, I felt very different about life. You know, but that's also a profound experience. It's not just about. Um, having experiences and seeing wonderful places when you're traveling, it's also your personal life, you know what mm. I mean? You know, I, I, I am a father of a son. I went through a period of miscarriages with my ex-wife, which was terrible, but it was also a profound experience to get mm. through it. A marriage, then a divorce. These are also things that are right up there with human experience, as well as climbing a pyramid or you know jumping in the Ganges or whatever. These are just as kind of profound as doing things, you know, that that are seemingly more romantic. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You have to kind of do those things. It would be, I don't think I would be, I mean, I love my boy, obviously, but if I had travelled and travelled and travelled and travelled and hadn't stopped mm. to have a family, I think I would have been a bit lonely and a bit bereft. And as it is now, I live quite beautifully in solitude. You know, I'm mm. really happy to sit for hours and hours reading the paper, doing a crossword, writing some words. It's yeah. like I'm in love with words, yeah. you know what I mean? And no, I love people and my friends as well. But, you but, know. That, uh, but I guess that, again, uh, back to that that thing, what, what we're here for, and I, I looked at, I don't know if you saw it over there, it was a, there's a beautiful film that I watched, like a kid's film, over the, by a guy called Charlie Maxey. He'd done the, the, it's called The Boy, The Mole, The Fox. Oh, yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. see it? I've read it. I've yeah. read, read the book as well, yeah. Just, but like, so profound. And they said one of the things in there is what we're here for is to love and be loved. Absolutely. And I, I'm I'm a massive believer of, of that. I think that's where I've sort of bought because I am ambitious and I do strive and I do spin these plates and I, you know, and we sort of spoke about it previously. You, know, you sort of feel like you're chasing something sometimes, yep. and I, but actually, when it comes back to it, surrounded by just amazing people. Yeah. Got to have that within the whether it's be within the business community, whether it be my wife, my kids, you know, whatever that best mates who I've had for years, whatever that looks like. There's all the and building those relate like I guess what you're alluding to. It's great to have all them experiences, but actually we we want to still be yeah. surrounded. I think I think if you, I mean I'm just like beating myself up here a little bit, but I think that because of those previous experiences and because things went really well. Surf the surf the internet. Sorry, surf the you know the wave of the internet, and then suddenly getting taken around the world because I was writing for Forbes and mm. you know all this kind of things. It, it certainly went to my head. Really? You know what I mean? And it became like I'm really special and all that stuff. And I did. I think I did lose sight of life and all that. I think I became a bit narcissist. Narcissist. Narcissistic. You know what I mean? I look, I've just been with Kim, Kim Kardashian, you know. Yeah, no, I can't. No, no, it's too low. You know, I've just got a bit up See. myself. And I think divorce probably helps in that self reassemble. Do you know what I mean? But I feel as if 
there seems to be that the things that I achieved previously were based on a bit of an ego, based on a look at me type of thing, a bit yeah. of a show-off that maybe came back from school. Jesus Christ, it's like therapy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, but I'm just being frank and open with yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and, you know, being the only boy, Sunday's child and all that stuff. I think now, after kind of, yeah, kind of reassembling myself, so I'll use the same word, um, now I think I'm a little bit more, I think I'm better now. And now hopefully I can achieve things from a basis of being a better individual rather than a show-offy child as I was for ages, which I used to get along with it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I did, I, it worked very well, but it wasn't particularly wholesome, you Not know. So like, you alluded then like, to obviously the Kim Kardashian, so that sort of period of your life, like you've interviewed some you know, amazing people. I mean, look, we talk about fulfilment. This, for me, sitting here in the room with you and people are hosting on here as a, mm. uh, the podcast, that's where I, I guess I feel most... You love it, don't you? I, I absolutely you do. Like, it's without, I can tell. Hands down, of all the plates that spin, this is this is this is my happy place. I guess yeah, yeah. I'd I, I love being. Feels a, nice, isn't it? Yeah, so it's just what, what's not to love. I just I love having a chat, as we've alluded to, and yeah, most yeah. people know. But just sitting and speaking with people and just finding out their stories. And but, but you, so you're probably like me. You weren't trained to do this, right? Yeah, no, no, no. And that's what makes it good because you're just going to get better and better as much as I'm getting better. I'm actually quite a good interviewer now. Yeah. But it did take 10 years because I used to get really nervous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to get Stockholm Syndrome, I shouldn't be here. You know, then I'd probably get maybe a little bit pissed <laughs> other times, you know, have the gin, gin instead of the water just to give myself confidence. And again, that just goes back to what I just said about yeah, yeah. ego and you know, being unstable and, and not particularly whole. Um, but now I'm, now I'm quite good at it. Yeah, yeah. You know, but it's taken me ages. And I'm saying I'm quite good at it. I'm not that good at it, you know. Yeah, see, I, I, I still... Like, I struggle with the fact, I'm the same, I struggle, I, think, I don't think I'm great, I've never learned to do it, don't know, I'm, I just love having a chat and I think I'll just go in and let's just have a chat and see how yeah, it but comes that's why out, you but don't need to be trained, yeah, because yeah. you like conversation and you like people, <clears throat> and if you like that, I, I, I got I got it some stage in a career or whatever that um, there were two things, this is slightly weird, um, you know if you go out with a really good person or someone you know really well and you have lots of alcohol, but yeah. you have no hangover because you've had such a brilliant time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And other times you meet an idiot or someone you have to do work with and you have three pints, you feel terrible. <laughs> so I only would drink with people that would give me, you know, joy, I suppose. And I think it's the same thing with, with the opportunities, the access, because of all the writing to meet these individuals and interview them. It was like, generally, when I spoke to them, my I got better. Yeah, because yeah. they were better than me, you, you know what I mean. So, yeah, yeah, so yeah, sure. you'd you'd use longer words, or you, yeah, or you, yeah, you know, yeah. it's, it is a little bit pretentious. But you're just like, oh god, this guy is, or this girl is like, super leagues ahead of me. But we're really getting on here, yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Because I wouldn't normally have met that person in the course of getting a taxi here from Brighton, you, you know what I mean? But it yeah, was the sure. access that I was granted. And then realizing you've got this is an opportunity you can't you can't lose yeah. this man you've got to go and do as much as you can. I don't want to do it anymore. I, I'm, you don't. I, no, well, I did. I did interview Tim Draper, who's a very famous Silicon Valley venture I capitalist. I watched the Tech Bob. Tech Barbecue, yeah, yeah, in Copenhagen. I, 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 I watched. I watched that interview on YouTube. Oh, did you? I did, yeah. And again, like, and not not criticizing myself, but just what you, you bossed it. 
It did, might be. Did I? I think well, so. I don't think I've, I don't know if I bossed it. I didn't like him. Really? No, I hated him. I thought he was such a Trumpian idiot, uh, and he was full of ego and he was full of showmanship. And but a lot of people I know think he's amazing, right? But his mm. big tie and all that stuff. Yeah, and I was yeah. trying to keep it in how much I hated him. Um, I didn't hate him, but you know, it's just he represented lots of things I don't represent. But I think I did well when I interviewed yeah. him. Right, that's about that's about as much as I can say because the other time it's oh God, why do you say this or why do you say that? I did. I, I, it felt as if that was a maturation or me maturing as a interviewer that one because yeah. it had been a while because right. of COVID and all that stuff, and I've done online with Tim Berners Lee and Guns and Roses for God's yeah. sake. That was insane. Um, but that was a bit. I hated all that. You know, you're only using two senses on Zoom. You yeah, know, yeah, hear yeah. It. The rest of it yeah. is touch and smell yeah, and the way yeah. we're interacting at the moment. Yeah. So yeah, that did feel good. That yeah, no, yeah. it was quite. I just look. You just it, it looked like you, you're just so natural. And you, it was. Oh, it was, it's not. It was, it's not natural. <laughs> it, 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 me. It, it looks like that. I guess that's what it is. And people look. People often go, "Oh, you, yeah, you do really well. You come across well." Blah blah blah. But you, you know, you take on. You know some positive feedback, which is great. But at the same oh, time, appreciate it's it, constant. Yeah. No, it was, but uh, it, uh, out of all them people, then all these people you've interviewed, who, who has what's been the most memorable interview and why? It's probably well. I go back in time. So, so the 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 prestigious Steve Wozniak, right? That was. Yeah, I'll, I'll, that go, like, I'll go back to that. But so Tim Berners Lee on on Zoom, um, although he's a little bit controlled by his team and his wife. You know, don't ask him this, don't talk to I hate that yeah, when yeah, you're not yeah. allowed to ask certain things. But the conversation I had with him, you know, the guy who created the World Wide Web is yeah. I mean, I'm not really a technologist, but that is a that's a, that is a that's a brain yeah, yeah, to yeah, talk yeah. to. You know what I mean? Then there was one that didn't happen, which would have been the best thing. So I was invited, I think I think the um it's about four years ago, five months or it might be longer. Covid has screwed up perception. But uh, I was invited to was it Starmus Starmus in Stockholm, like a three day science festival, and to be with Stephen Hawking for three days. Wow! wow. Um, and it was like to be with him for three days as like the guy he speaks to. And so, what it's like being with Einstein for three yeah. days. Like this is the, this will be it. This yeah. will be the peak of it. You know, speaking to a voice box will be interesting as well. <laughs> you know, Bloody hell. but he was too ill to travel. So oh, I couldn't do it. That's that's a regret. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, is yeah. a mofo regret. I'm telling you. But wow. the uh, just to be in, just to get to that stage and be in that arena. To, uh, just to be invited. Yeah, it's like, wow. you know, and just that would that would have been the ultimate actually. Yeah. Um, but the, the the probably the one I remember the most is Steve Wozniak in Beirut, ten thousand people. Someone else was going to interview, and I was just going there for a thousand pounds appearance fee which I don't think ever was paid anyway um, and I love Beirut um, and then three days before I travelled I got a phone call from the organisers just really good friend now and said um, we've decided we, we're going to let you invite Steve Wozniak because you'd be better and I couldn't believe that they'd even think that about me because I hadn't really done it before and um, so I went over there and said oh my god Jesus Christ um, so I didn't. I never do research on the people I interview. Really? No, never. It always has to be, you know. Even with Tim Draper, I heard of him, but I didn't, you know, yeah. do anything. I think that's my way of doing it. It's not everybody's way of doing it. So with Wozniak, I had to be the co-host as well. So the host was 
effective the co-host sorry effectively the first lady of uh slovakia she was the daughter of the president he got remarried his second wife didn't want to do all the you know functionary stuff or the ambassadorial stuff so she was brilliant i went to she invited me to a wedding um, last year <laughs> that, that was amazing she's a brilliant person so she was, you know, she's obviously knew about protocol, yeah. diplomacy. So so we were drinking a couple of days before in Beirut. Um, and, you know, we got on really well. That's why I was invited to a wedding, I suppose. So she gave me some tips. Someone else, a guy called Mike Butcher, he's uh, probably the best technology, most connected technology journalist in, well, certainly in, the, in this country. And I said, got any tips? And he said, just remember the last thing they said because you're going to be sitting there with your head full of questions, ideas, yeah. you're going to be looking down at a piece of paper or a, or a phone, you know, and then you, you'll say something brilliant you think it is, but it's not connected with the last thing that they said. Right, that was brilliant advice, really brilliant yeah. advice. So me and um, my friend go on stage, there's 10,000 people there, Steve Wozniak coming to Beirut, it's, wow. you know, but everyone's there to see Steve Jobs. Really, oh, right, yeah, it's yeah, by association, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, course, yeah, yeah. And I've been backstage at gigs, and I've been in the green room, and I've seen idolatry, idolatrous, you know, fans looking at bands like. Yeah, with, yeah. But I've never seen this anything like this. The way that people were looking at Wozniak, it was like really? God. It was, it was mad. So, so I did the introduction, um, and then, and she dissed me on stage. She said, "Well, here we are, Beirut. How are you going? Why don't you smile, Monty?" <laughs> uh, and I looked and I said, don't talk to me like that. Then, then just, you know, okay, I'm not, because I'm so nervous. <laughs> Hello. Because everyone's mouth gets smaller when you're nervous or yeah. you're aggressive. Have you ever been punched in the face by someone going like that? It's all what it is. You know what I mean? Um, and so, so, so I'm starting to get confidence, but in that kind of show-offy way, right? It, it looked all right, but I, know, I knew it was nervousness. And so then I've got him on stage for half an hour, right? Don't have to worry about the last thing you say, because he just talks all the time. So, okay. so and, and as, an, as a journalist or ex-journalist, if there are awkward silences, the interviewee will always fill them. Yeah. Or, or yeah, or it's the worst interview in your life. So yeah. he could just talk and talk and talk. Um, and there's a really good picture of me backstage where everyone is trying to, you know, get his attention, and I'm sitting in the background looking like an evil person staring at him. It's a really good picture. <laughs> um, and everyone went mad when he came on stage. And I sat on the sofa with him, and I was told by the organisers, my so-called mates, that he was going to be in CNN after half an hour, right? I had to finish at half an hour. Yeah. So, And I swear quite a lot. And I didn't want to swear, and I wanted my ex-wife and my son to be proud of me. There was a lot of pressure on myself. But it was going all right. You know what I mean? It was going all right. It was going all right. It was going all right. And I'd asked him, unlike Tim Berners, I'd asked him backstage, was there anything off limits? And he'd said no, right? So I said, well, give me a couple of stories, man, you know, that I can bring up on stage. Because I wasn't phased by him at all. I just thought he, yeah. you know, he, he was he, he was at Apple, now he wasn't. Yeah, I didn't yeah, see yeah. as Steve was the act charity foundation, like Bill, you know, it was like, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And one of them was that he loved to smuggle, he, he had he'd once smuggled Coke into Moscow. And I went, what? <laughs> you? He goes, yeah, yeah. I used to love those, you know, those 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 tab tins. I went, oh, Coca Cola. 
And because you couldn't get cans of Coke, you know, you could only yeah, get these yeah, weird yeah. bottles or rip-offs. So he, so he smut. I mean, <laughs> you crazy cat, Steve. <laughs> when you put a few couple of cans in your luggage, <laughs> you nutter. But when he was on stage, uh, I tried to couch it without mentioning Coca-Cola. So I tried to put it in, like, so is it true that you smuggled Coke into Moscow? Uh, but he didn't mention Coca-Cola. So everyone thought he was talking about, you know, the other wow. Coke. So wow. that was a bit naughty. <laughs> um, but I had to do something. And then I was looking at the ticker, and I was doing all right, looking at the ticker, looking at the ticker. Oh, 40 minutes, like I'm on the home run, do you know what I mean? Nine minutes. Yeah. I'm just about there. Four more questions I can get out of here and have a drink. And then it went to 39 minutes, the ticker. So the whole thing that my mates had told me about was that he had to be on CNN was a wind-up. It was always oh, going to be an hour. So my head had gone, right? Because I thought, <laughs> you know, psychologically, I'm on the, I'm, I'm on the way in now. I've got nine minutes to go. killing you there, mate. And They're then it's 39 you. minutes. And, and thank God he spoke. Because I froze for a good two minutes. My, I just It threw me. Completely yeah, threw me. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not exhausted the questions as much, but I, I was all right after about five minutes yeah, of recovered. Yeah. And like, okay, just calm down, calm down. But that was, but that was extraordinary. And afterwards, just walking around, it's like everyone had wanted a selfie with me, because I was that close to him, as if they could get associated to Steve Jobs via Steve Wozniak via silly presenter. <laughs> um, and then we went out to an amphitheater that night in Beirut, and it was amazing. That was amazing. Wow. That was that was amazing. And and it, and it also led, obviously, to the rest of the stuff. If I hadn't have done that, if my mates hadn't have asked me to do it. It wouldn't have been Steve Wozniak asking for me to interview him in Vienna about nine months later, and it was just weird. So he asked for you. Yeah, apparently, apparently, I'm not sure okay. if it's that true. Apparently, it's a, I had an agent for a year, um, and we were just playing. Hey, Monty. Oh, hey, Steve. How you going? How's things? How's Janet? She all right? Yeah, she's fine. We got a new dog, and we were just talking like we were like putting the bins out. Wow. But he, he did give me a he did give me his business card, and it's uh, basically silver. Really? Not silver, chrome, or what do you call it, steel, yeah. uh, with his name on it and his private details. It's all like it looks like it's been printed out from wow. Starship Enterprise, all upside down and all that stuff. Yeah, no. So yeah, so that was probably the thing that led to all the other stuff. Fortunately. Okay, I just wanted to say something about one of our sponsors, Preston Insurance Brokers. Insurance is all about peace of mind, making sure that you're protected no matter what. There's no such thing as one size fits all which is why Preston Insurance Brokers take the time to understand your business, how it works, and how all the pieces fit together. Because they understand your needs and whatever risks your business faces, they can offer you bespoke insurance cover to help your business grow with confidence. Always safe in the knowledge that should the worst ever happen, they'll be here to help you weather the storm. Protecting businesses for over a decade, Preston Insurance Brokers will ensure that you're always in safe hands. No one on the team have been looking after all my business insurance for many years and offer a truly fantastic personal service. To find out more, contact the team at www.prestoninsurancebrokers.co.uk. Your business, your insurance. Okay, back to the podcast. That, then just a couple of things taken out of one, that, that first thing, like you said, something that you're not experiencing, not done it before, that's led to all them other things. But someone giving you that opportunity, yeah. and you can, I'll take it. Because how many other people, I wonder, in that, God, that's a bit too, no, no, I couldn't do that. Do you think me. people would t say I no? Most know. people I know would just grab it, I suppose. You, I, guess, I guess you'd like to think so. 
you'd like to think an opportunity like that you wouldn't want to oh it's nerving it's nerve wracking yeah, especially 10,000 people as well up oh in. dude that's that like that used to be like twice Brentford's all capacity <laughs> in, when we were in the lower leagues. It's like two Brentford crowds, yeah. Well, oh, it's an amazing. Just uh, again for me that back to the whole thing about saying yes to experiences, mm. having them opportunities going out there. But what a, what an incredible thing to be in front of those people. Just but with with, with him, with Steve, wasn't it? Like you said, and that, having that. And I didn't screw it up. That was the major thing. I didn't and that up. must have then elevated that confidence in you. Is that, is that where you sort of, after that, you talked about, you know, the ego side of things. Did that, when that started to kick in then after that? I think when Mozzie asked me the second time, I think that was a little bit, I was getting yeah. a little bit, I was going to ask me for a third time, but he never yeah. asked me again. <laughs> you know, and I, I think, I, I, re I remember, this is kind of quite a good example of what a twat I am. Um, is that on the first series of Big Brother, when I was a communications director, there was, I mean, I don't know what your audience is, but the first series in the UK, there was a character called Nasty Nick. Yeah, yeah, he yeah, wasn't yeah. very nice. So basically, he got kicked off the show, but they yeah. stopped the internet the internet cameras, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They stopped the online cameras rolling because they thought there was going to be violence. So in my, it wasn't my company, I was working for them, there was, I mean, I didn't really get it, but... Oh, well, that was supposed to be an open platform, you know, you can't turn off the cameras if it's going to be on the internet live and then it's on the telly the next day. So I went to the Guardian media page and said, like, I'm happy to write about this, you know what I mean? So I wrote about it and, you know, basically nicked a few conversations that I'd had internally. Um, and they published it on a Monday, uh, which was great for me, but then the people I worked with, you shouldn't have done it, you're only the communications director, we should have been doing it, and it's like they, they, you know, they were annoyed yeah. about me. And I'd said something in there about real networks because you have to download a player and then real networks, we had business with them. Uh, he gave me loads of grief a couple of days later because I'd given away numbers I shouldn't have done and all that stuff. You know, It might have been my ego then. Yeah, you know? yeah. But he later said, a month later, saying this is the best PR we ever got because the yeah. amount of... Because uh, that's when the Guardian media page was... I mean, it's still amazing, but it was amazing then. Yeah. So then... What happened? Something happened. I can't remember. It was published somewhere else, or someone picked up on it. And then on the Wednesday, there was a column in the Financial Times TV um, TV guy about Big Brother, and then said the Guardian had published this PR piece by the communications director of the streaming company and all that stuff. Da -da -da. And I said, "Oh my God, I've really screwed this up." Yeah. Went to a mentor. He said, "Listen, mate, if they're if they're writing about you, you know, don't worry about it. You've made it. You know, you've you've just made it." <laughs> So I was coming back from London on the train. I was head full of, like, self-grandiose. Um, and there was a ticket inspector on the train. Do you know what I mean? I was like, I shouldn't even have to pay for my ticket, bearing <laughs> my, my status in life. Uh, so I said, that I did have a ticket, because I was always skid anyway. Uh, and he said, duh, 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 duh. and I was just checking this. You know, it, was, it, wasn't, it, must, it must have been, like, some weird, 1999, it was, like, some weird connected device. Uh, and he said, uh, can I have your autograph, please? And I went, oh, yeah, sure. What, did you see the piece in The Guardian or me being dissed in the FT? He said, no, no, for the ticket, mate. Do you know what I mean? Just a sign of credit card. <laughs> and he looked at me like I was the biggest tosser in the world. And he was right. He was totally right. But, but, th but that was as a 37-year-old man with wow. a little bit of fame. 
Imagine when you're 19 and you're on some reality show or Love Island. Imagine what it would do to your ego. That was yeah. just a that was a little stupid 37 year old man having a little bit of this, yeah. and it had gone straight to my head. You know. Wow, it's hard, isn't it? Because you do you look back at that, and it, it, it becomes it looks like it's so accessible because there's so many reality shows. All youngsters looking at it now and fame of Instagram and all these things, and they think yeah. they can just dip their toe in and they're gonna let this Insta famous type thing. But well, I think it's different now. But I think at that time, and this was 90. It's been, yeah, it was 98, 99. Oh, yeah, I remember that. I remember that first series. And I don't know, you know, not really happy to have been associated with it, bearing yeah. in mind what, what came about. I just thought this is my calling card, yeah. way before Steve was there, that I was on the most popular TV show and I was writing about it for The Guardian and I'd yeah. had this experience for nine months. I mean, still a pretty good experience. Yeah, yeah, sure. But what it led to, you know, I'm not really a reality show sure, fan no, anymore, no, 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 if you know no. what I mean. It's just it's quite damaging, I think. Yeah. And I think the likes of... I'm a celebrity. You, you know, what was that guy that used to do the talk shows? Not Vine. The one that uh, someone killed themselves. David? No. The talk show during the day. I can't remember his name. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Vine. Uh, Jeremy Vine. Je je yeah. Is it Jeremy Vine? No, je it was Jeremy something. Um, yeah, come to me. I know you mean. I know yeah, you mean. It wasn't Vine. I think I've got Vine in my head. Oh, I had it then. But anyway, it'll come back to me then. But, you know, like, what the damage that that done to people. Jeremy with, Kyle. Jeremy Kyle, give me five. We're in, we're Thank in. You. I knew it was so close. Between together. us, between us. We got Just there. thought I'd get a bit of dyslexia with the same <laughs> amount of letters. And, and what, what, was, what has happened with, with, with that, and it's now discredited, that yeah, type of TV. Yeah. And, I, and I was watching I'm a Celebrity, you know, I'm not naming the names of anyone that was on it, but that's quite cruel, that show. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. and, it, and I think that time will not judge it well. Yeah, yeah. And these so-called national treasures of Ant and Deck, you yeah, know, yeah. were actually part of a, a slightly weird, weird cruel. I watched Traitors, that was also cruel, yeah, yeah. Um, in the last couple of weeks. Where you, you know, I'm not, I'm not so pleased that my time on Big Brother is anything I'm proud of, to be honest. Yeah, Someone enough. else would have done it, I'm sure, but I'm still. It's not something that I, you know. Yeah, you should, well, yeah, 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 yeah. I want to, I want to I I move because I want to talk a little bit about. Um, always talk about sort of challenges and stuff on on the podcast and you know especially being an entrepreneur or running businesses and yeah. being involved with the ups and downs i want to talk you you obviously you know you've been involved in the, the tech space i guess as, a, as an advisor and we worked with different companies and stuff like that what uh, the narrative within the tech space from what my understanding is you know fail fast you know fail forward whatever that looks like what's, what's your relationship like with failure Ad? Well, we've we've had many a conversation, me and my gang, I suppose, about yeah, you know, you you you're not going to get anywhere without failure, you know. Yeah. And we were talking about all the, and then everyone get, you know, they make a kind of, you know, a ribbon out of failure as if it's like a success because you failed. And it's like I said, to be honest, I, I would much prefer every single thing that I ever did was successful. I would never ever fail at anything, and I turn my into that be a winner and turn out to be a winner. That's ultimately, I'd like to not ever fail, ever, ever, really? ever, ever. No, I just want to win all the time. <laughs> Everyone wants to win all the time. But do you not think that how much you learn from? No, of course. I mean, but that is the narrative. Do you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, but yeah. the ultimate narrative is underneath all of those. Yes, they do make you better, and they do, and you fail better, and you fail slower, or whatever. 
ultimately we just want to win all the time. Let's just get it clear. Right? <laughs> then we can talk about the failure, right? We all want to win and we're all a little bit pissed off when we fail and then recouch it into a, like, this is a journey, a journey <laughs> of discovery. No, but I mean, piss taken aside, I think, you, you know, it's like, it's just, it's, it's a bit like relationships, you know, you, you, you have some mates who married their sweetheart, you know, and they've, that's, they've probably just had sex with the one woman or the one man in all their life. And you think, what a sad life, you know, you haven't had these experiences, ups and downs and different experiences as me, but they're generally a lot happier <laughs> in a way, you know, all of that stuff. No, but in a kind of business sense, I suppose, it's not so much, I think you've just, it's just, life is weird. You know, it's not going to... Brentford will lose next match to Bournemouth. That's the way it goes. I mean, life through the Brentford lens. You, don't, you <laughs> yeah. need to know no more. <laughs> I'm serious. Um, is that, you know, life is not linear and life is weird and circular and time is odd. And time is the maddest thing anyway. So it just depends how you define yourself at the, at the, at the time. They say in America, you know, there are no poor people in, in America. They're just resting billionaires, which I've always <laughs> liked that. <laughs> because it's all based on time. At this yeah. point in time, you're a failure. At this point in time, you're a success. Yeah. And time is maybe something that was, everyone's trying to work out what it means. You know, I'm running out of time, I'm getting older. It's change, changing me, I think. And it's the same with businesses. That you just have to, you just have to have ultimate confidence that whatever happens in life, as yeah. an individual, you'll be all right. Yeah. It was meant to be, and the same thing in business. You know, there's going to be. Recessions, there's going to be deep, yeah, deep, yeah. deep recessions. There's going to be boom times. It's just life, you know, just deal with it, I suppose. But with you yourself, like, would you say a challenging time would be, you know, personal life and, and I guess, and business in, in a whole, but challenges, you've gone for, like, the divorce, for example, mm -hmm. in the last couple of years, would that be one of the most challenging times oh, of yeah. your life? Or? Yeah, I mean, I'd... I'd, I'd respect my ex-wife it was a very benign divorce we have a beautiful son as a result of our connection we fell out of love and we had a really nice it's nice not nice it was not nasty but we had a amicable what was it conscious decoupling i suppose yeah. which i de derided as a phrase 10 years ago and i think <laughs> it's quite a good one um but that is that's probably the ultimate challenge is you know it, in a pandemic you know what i mean yeah, yeah, being yeah. being older yeah of course um, but I would say that all the other experiences, the way I think I dealt with it, I just, when I read about it, mm -hmm. you know, two years, you're going to be screwed up for two years, two years of time, yeah, yeah. you know, so as long as I can just get through these first disruptive months, I've got all this experience, life experience, I would be a loser if I didn't use that time to get through it. So, so it turned out, it's turned out amazingly. Yeah. Um, and it was also amazing because it was non-toxic, no one else was involved. Um, and you know we split the money and she'll be fine. She's a good good person. She's my my um, my son's mother. She's she's got great support of her family and friends. She'll be brilliant. And yeah, I yeah. you know I'll, hopefully I will be, or I will flourish. You know not flourishing yet, but yeah. you know, getting ready for it. But yeah, but I, I would say that's probably been a bigger challenge than any business thing ever. Yeah. You know, or any money worry, or yeah, any yeah. you know like oh my god, how am I going to pay the mortgage this month? I mean that's chicken feed to to that type of thing. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I think, you know, it's 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 a time of reflection. I mean, I don't think I've ever done anything in business. I mean, I've missed a few opportunities. Yeah. yeah. Like back to regrets. You know, um I worked for a games company called Player X in London 
before the launch of the iPhone. So we were the aggregator and the publisher of mobile games before they were a thing. Yeah. You know. And there was a Finnish company that got in touch with us and we'd failed 50 of their games because um, they were buggy and they were pretty useless and they were running out of money. Uh, and they said, well, you, you could have this game for $250,000. We'll give you 51% share, you know what I mean? As long as you get it, you know, spend the money to get it licensed and all that yeah. stuff. Uh, and we said no. And that game was Angry Birds. So turned down a few billion on that on that one. <laughs> wow. So when you're talking about failure, mate, <laughs> wow. welcome to my world. Wow. That was a big one, actually. You know, I turned down, when I was working for Victoria Real, I turned down a job at Amazon in Slough because it was too far to go because I was quite happy living in Brighton. That would have been with options and all that stuff. That was another one. There's <laughs> a, wow. a theme here. <laughs> so, um, no, but I think that's... But they, the thing. they all put us on... Like you said, all them things. Yeah, but like it doesn't. Said. It doesn't make. But it's that. It's it's like the fact that you believe in yourself. That yeah. Without without the ego and the narcissism, which can help, right? Yeah. But it, it, you, that you believe that that is just part of the line or the circle, whatever you believe in. I, I never really. I mean, they're good stories. Yeah. You know, I went to. I went to knock. <laughs> I went to Rovio when I I went to India for a couple of years and I came back and started to revive my career as a as a as a as a tech journalist and um, I was invited to to Helsinki you know meet all the companies and everything and one of them was Rovio Mobile the owners of Angry Birds yeah. you know so I went in there with all these other journalists and he goes hello journalist welcome to uh, to the Rovio now which one of you is Monty Mumford and I knew what was coming I went. He goes, oh, I want you used to work at Play X. I said, yep. He said, you know what we used to call you? We used to call you Rovio Killer. It's like, yeah, no, no. He goes, but we have a message for you now. It's like, mother <laughs> turns around to the whole of his staff. And they go, one, two, three. They all stand up, about 200 people. And he goes, but now we are all billionaires. <laughs> <laughs> and I wasn't, I was nearly 50. And, you know, I'm earning no money. I've just got back from <laughs> India and I just like. <laughs> Ouch. Don't. Ouch. Don't dig Ouch. it in. But then, the, but then it, it turned into they gave me the first ever Angry Boy, Angry Bird slingshot toy. What do they call it in the States? A plush or something? I can't remember yeah. the name of it. So then me and my boy did a video, stupid, worst video ever on YouTube, about the world's first Angry Bird. We're going to kill the pigs. So we put some kind of pigs like plastic pigs and then I realised actually I should have played the game I supposed to kill the pigs so that was number <laughs> one mistake and we got a million views wow I made a few quid on AdSense it was mad but you know you just, just bows and arrows of misfortune <laughs> and all that. Yeah, so actually I'm a failure I'm a failure with a massive ego just got divorced <laughs> <laughs> But you've got some stories to oh tell, mate. Oh, my God, mate. it might be true. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you've got to keep your chin up, mate. Mate, bloody hell, what? But that, 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 that's, again, for me, just listening, you're here telling these stories mm. about, and, and they have experiences in life that are epic. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, they have been pretty good. Yeah, and it's all it is is about memories. Yeah, I don't know what you're thinking about at the moment or what I'm thinking about at the moment, and we have pretty light minds, I think. Yeah. But you see all this around you is completely differently to me. I see the world completely different to you. Everyone sees the world completely differently. And what you think is normal for your brain or your filter or your the way you see things, it, 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 it's quite difficult to think that someone could think about it in a different way. 
you know, the, the, the likes of Steve Jobs and all those type of visionaries weren't particularly nice people, yeah. you know. And it's like D.H. Lawrence, the writer, once said, never trust the artist, trust the tale. So don't trust the person, trust the story. Yeah. I mean, you could take that either way if you want to. I've yeah. always liked the story. But I still think you have to have integrity on the person that creates us. The person who creates the story has to have integrity. Yeah. You know, you have to be... You have to have you have to be serious underneath whatever carapace of jollity that you want to kind of portray, but you have to be serious and you have to be true. Yeah. That's yeah. You have to be authentic. Hundred percent, hundred percent. I posted it yesterday exactly that about I think whatever whatever goals we set ourselves this year, whatever you know, yeah. New Year's resolutions we've got, whatever you do in business, in life, or whatever it is, just as long as you do it with authenticity. Absolutely. It's got to be, and, and you, in other words, you mentioned there about integrity, like authenticity and integrity, probably two of the biggest values for me, I think, as a. As well, a that's leader. why we're like minded, yeah, agreed. Yeah. And I think that's where, as long as you can do them things. Even, if, even if it means, even if you, it means you turn down money, yeah, you turn yeah, down yeah. opportunity because it doesn't feel a bit dirty, yeah, yeah. stay with that. Yeah, you have I, to stay with yeah. it. I, I, look, I 100% agree. I like, you know, look about. People I interviewed here, people have come on and made millions and done yeah. them things, and what that looks like. Oh, happiness does that doesn't equate to happiness oh, and, yeah. that, and and fulfilment and all them things that actually. Well, it doesn't mean. harm it. No, no, no. And another, I've, I've sort of said this uh, uh, that there, there's because there's still something inside. And I'll get conflicted here sometimes because mm. like, they're my true values and I tr- I really believe them. And I've always thought to myself, whatever I do in life and business, especially, I'll do it with integrity and authenticity, and I won't ever screw someone over. And I'll do that, no. and I and I'll get to that. But, but there is still that part of me that has got that ambitious side. Where actually, I would like to just get to that point of and, and sit there with a few quid and go. Actually, I know what it's like now, and I'm okay. <laughs> I think all it is is again, it's about time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If you've got integrity and you've got also resilience as well as as well as the authenticity, it's going to take you longer yeah. to get there. If you yeah. want to cut corners and be a wanker, you'll yeah. get there quicker, but it won't feel good. Yeah. You'll get there yeah. a bit slower than people that make up. No, well, I hope you get there quickly, but you'll get there slower just because of those values. Yeah. And then it becomes even more beautiful when you get there. And yeah. it will happen to you because the universe will be kind to you because you're a good man. I'll take that, mate. Thank you. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> yes. Well, look, there's something I wanted to pick about because this is this is an, an area that obviously you've advised on a lot. I know nothing about the whole world of cryptocurrency. Mm. I wanted to move on to that type of thing just, just because look, I'm limited or no knowledge actually of, of 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 that arena. But I know a lot of listeners will do, and I hear people talking about it a lot, and it's of interest. So I'm um, I'm just keen to s- get your take on what you think the world of Cryptocurrency is going to look like. Well, I mean, I've got another story of failure, I suppose. Um, I got in a bit late. I realised that Bitcoin as a technology has never been hacked, mm. ever. The exchange has been hacked in other places, but Bitcoin itself as a technology, a transparent code that can't be fiddled with, changed, mm. you know, redact- redacted as a, as, a, as a means of doing any form of exchange I thought that's really interesting mm. really interesting Ethereum the second biggest cryptocurrency not only is it a blockchain as well a chain of blocks I mean any listener that can easily find out about this stuff the idiot's guide it doesn't yeah. take long to, to work it out to be honest yeah, yeah. and I'm not a technologist and I got it yeah um, but with Ethereum you can do, thing, do things you can put decentralised apps dApps 
on Ethereum, you can create stuff on Ethereum. You yeah. can stuff that do stuff. That's where decentralized finance comes from. All of these, all of this comes from the Ethereum blockchain. So I got interested in it, and then I had some money in the wallet, and then that, I woke up one morning and the wallet was gone. Someone had hacked me. It was twenty five thousand pounds, right? Wow. That is now worth about three hundred grand. Right, so someone nicked three hundred grand off me. That's the truth of it. It wasn't that I made a mistake. It, 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 I was, wow. it was, I was, st it was stolen from me. Um, and so when that happened, I just, this the whole thing's ridiculous. Do you know yeah. what I mean? It's just stupid. It's it's Ponzi. It's full of ruins. You know, there's holes everywhere. And I and I just enough. I mean, I wrote about it for the BBC, yeah. and I still get weekly emails. Oh, okay, my cryptocurrency stolen. Can you help me? No, I fucking can't. I don't want to be reminded of it, but good luck. You know, I don't want to be too much of a tosser about it. Um, and so I, so I, I left it all as a stupid thing, you know. And you know, I, I mean, I'll be honest. That twenty-five grand wasn't my investment. A lot of that was profit because yeah, I'd yeah, made, yeah, sure. I'd done all right out of it. It wasn't as if, and I also made. I will get that back. Yeah, yeah you yeah. know, I will, and I probably have done. So then. Under lockdown, which is probably about 18 months. The, the one thing I was interested about crypto is because I was writing for so many places, yeah, yeah, sure. you usually get an inkling of what's coming next because there's splurge of press releases. So it'd be like, they'll all be about crowdsourcing. So crowdsourcing's coming up, yeah. you know. And what I saw with the with the crypto thing wasn't get rich schemes. It was like hugely deep technological coding, creating something else. And I think... If you get rid, and I'm still, I, I became a believer because it had all tightened up a little bit when I came back in about two years ago. Um, and I still believe that fundamentally this decentralized is great. You know yeah. what I mean? I, I don't, I think the, there's a lot of people that think, oh, this is just like the internet. Yeah. You know, like. It's not really like the internet. It wasn't the start of the internet where people were doing stuff on the on the internet and everyone said, oh, this is really bad, it's evil, it's really going <laughs> to yeah. go down, you're all ripping people off. There wasn't anything like that, yeah, but yeah. there is with crypto. Because there's a lot of interest from the banks that have ripped us off for, for most of my life. Yeah. Um, because it's a, it's a threat to them, it's dangerous to them. Now, crypto doesn't and hasn't helped itself, yeah. right, with holes and exchanges, wrong ones. You know, this SBF guy, I mean, how anyone, I mean, really, how anyone believed that, excuse me, <coughs> Huckster or Mountie Bank or whatever crossword clue you want to think of is unbelievable. I mean, yeah. it's just madness. But but fundamentally, I think that if you've been living in the late, you know, I'm just an A-level economist, right, as I said earlier, that if you're living in a kind of, global financial situation where it collapsed in 2008 and everything's been money's been false and quantitative easing or anything like that the fact that the dollar is stable the fact that any fiat fiat is any um, sovereign currency yeah. is stable is beyond me the fact that interest rates have been artificially low for since 2008 has been no good for anyone because you can't invest money because there's no interest rate to be had. Yeah. So what do you do with your money? You put it into things that create bubbles. So you put it into cryptocurrency, you put it into houses, yeah. and those just create inflatable bubbles, which, you know what, you've seen crypto popped this year, yeah. you're gonna see house prices pop next year. Yeah. Because of this fundamental underlying 
stupidness. Yeah. You know what I mean? And crypto, of course, is. I mean, th there's a little bit too much confidence in the crypto community. Oh, it's gone down. It's, it's bounced back again. And there's yeah. technological things like the halving of Bitcoin and all that stuff. Um, but fundamentally, I still believe in it because I think anything that's got value has got scarcity. And with Bitcoin, there could only be 21 million Bitcoins. You can have bits of them, yeah. but ultimately, that's the, that, that's the scarcity. It's like gold. Yeah. It takes a lot of effort to get it out of the ground. And these things have real value because of their scarcity. You know, like a, a Maradona signed picture, the World Cup itself. Yeah. These things have got you know, a value that people would love to be part of or be associated with. Bitcoin's middling around $17,000. Bitcoin's, uh, sorry, Ethereum's about 1200 The coin that I was involved with, I, <laughs> another failure. <laughs> you know, uh, I was worth about $3 million last year. Now I'm worth about 25 grand. But it doesn't matter because the only thing that matters is when you come in and when you get out. Yeah, of course. It's yeah. like, when did you buy your house? Where did you sell your house? It doesn't matter yeah. what the price is. It's yeah. up to your life and your time, your sense of time yeah. that I want to buy that then and then I want to sell it then or I might have to sell it then or whatever. So what I would say about cryptocurrency for anyone who's listening is just do a bit of research into it. Forget all of the, all of the bullshit around it. Forget all of the noise because the noise happens between when you buy and when you sell. But just have a look at it. Yeah, just yeah. have a look at it. And it's very easy to get the fundamentals because it's about immutable technology and scarcity. Yeah. Right? Those that's what it's about. And those two things go in go along pretty much of your values yeah. and my values of authenticity. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think crypto is authentic. It's just the noise around it has, has held it back a bit. Yeah. But it will prevail. Believe me, I'm not giving financial advice and nothing yeah. like that because that's not what that's not what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, sure. But I am a believer, and that comes from someone that was really burned early on, yeah, and sure. I've seen it tighten up. There's a lot of opposition to it from traditional finance or tradfi or whatever they call it, and they've you know it hasn't helped himself with certain individuals. But I but I'm I'm a believer still. Yeah. I am. That's interesting, and like you say, it's. it's Taking out of that similar, like you said, with, with house prices, whatever. That is. If, when, when is the right time to buy a house? When's the one, there's obviously it'd be great to buy it when things are in the thing, and then you sell it when it comes Absolutely. to the top. But it's all related to that. You could hold on and wait. Like, I remember we yeah. bought our house last year in August. You go, actually, is that the worst time to buy? Actually, we bought it just before the, the price that we got our fixed rate mortgage, and it was okay. So I go, let's see, a good time. My wife not. Being so much of an optimist as I am, she's like, oh, "What's going to happen in a couple of years?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, what, what, it, we don't know what's going to happen in a couple of years. You just got to do what you can. Same with business, with anything. I always say you do the best you can with what you've got, the information you've got at that time. Absolutely, all and it's all know. again. It's about at that time, at that time, 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 yeah. time. I mean, I'm 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 out of a out of a twenty two year twenty year old sorry twenty year old marriage. Um, I paid the school fees. I paid the mortgage. Now I've got a bit of wedge. I yeah. don't. I've, I've never made money out of money because I was an anti-capitalist idiot. You know what I mean. And now I've got f a few pots here and there. Uh, interest rates are good for me. You know. Okay, so if I want to buy a house at that value with a pretty conservative opinion that they come down ten percent in the next year, yeah. then I've got. I'm, I'm earning money this year by doing nothing because I want to buy in a year's time, which I think will be a good time to buy. But then it's like, well, how long have you got? You know, yeah. it could be like, oh, it might go down 5% next year. And it's like, then you're in stasis and you don't do anything. Yeah. So I think I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. I'm with you. You just get, get on with it. If it goes wrong, 
clearly lots of things go, go wrong in life. But it's nice to win. Yeah, you know, it's yeah, nice to buy at the bottom and sell at the top. Yeah, of course. Of People course. love that. I love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You wouldn't. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. I'll get it. Mate, listen, it's been fascinating. Just before we come towards the end yeah. and, and go into our quick fire questions, you alluded to it earlier about, and we, before we come up as we was walking up the stairs, you said about, obviously, going, as we're recording this, you're going away in a few days to, to write your, your, your next book. To write book. my book, yeah, Vancouver and, uh, Island. And, you, and you, you mentioned to me walking up the stairs that this is like, 25 years in the making yeah, of, it is. of you. So, like, just tell me about that, bro. Like, where you are right now, like, we talk, we alluded to sort of fulfillment and stuff like that. Is this your going out there? And it, well, it, no, there's no pressure in it. But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> my first book was a third rubbish, a third autobiographical, and a third pretty decent. So, there was something in there I yeah. knew. And I, I know certain people that I respect have said the same. Uh, it probably said there was a bit more crap in it than I said. Um, but it was my first effort, it was untrained, yeah. and I've been practicing for 25 years by writing newsletters, writing technical, technological articles about things I don't really know too much about, because yeah. it's all about craft, and it's all about time, again, and writing. Um, and I've got 25, you know that when you see those kind of blurbs, it'll be a Forbes columnist from New York, yeah, yeah. work from Telegraph, as you said, when I came in. This is written widely from BBC <laughs> The Economist, Mashable, Financial <laughs> Times. This is his first novel. You know what I mean? Um, I've got all this in my head, yeah. you know. And so, that, so basically, it's 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 a book. My best friend died about five years ago. Me and his sister put his ashes on the Ganges the year after that. And after trying to work out what my book's going to be, about, what my book next book's going to be about, um, I'm just going to write to him and wow. say, "I miss you, man." So I don't have to make create characters. I can get some grief about his death out of the way. I think there's been a lot of grief for me over the last couple of years that's worked out, but it's been a very difficult process. And so I'm going to be writing to him about, mate, you were right, it was Kiwi, Warren Tucker. You wouldn't believe all your stupid conspiracy theories have come true. I'm, I'm stuck in a room, I can't move, you know. And then I don't really want to bring my marriage into it, but I would probably it will probably be within that grieving process but it's all going to be told through the medium of India and the first time I went to India in the 80s and using that kind of dreamlike experience and memory of India into a story of love and grief of where we are at the moment I mean it's not going to be in Hello magazine I shouldn't think and I want it to be authentic and I want it to be fucking intellectual um, and I want the people to like the person. It was the first book that I wrote. I wrote about someone who was based on me who wasn't very nice, um, which was getting it out of my system. Um, I think I'm a bit nicer than I was when I did the first book, so maybe people will you know, get into it. And I've got an amazing 20 people that are going to read the manuscript first, and they will not be short of telling me what to do. You know, And that's the authenticity that I have in my friendships and my circle mm. is that there is no I, I was with um you know gary vaynerchuk the yeah, big marketing guy yeah, yeah. he's um he came to my club in in london a few years ago i was there with a couple of other journalists from the times and TechCrunch, and he was holding forth you know and i'd heard from his ceo that you've got an hour with gary gary wants to you know wants to make 30 grand an hour whenever he travels you know because that's what his price if he's on yeah. stage he charges a quarter of a million uh, and it was all kind of good and it's fun. He was a good storyteller. He wants to buy the New York Jets and all this stuff. You yeah, know. And I've yeah. seen him at conferences since. 
And I said to him, I said, well, that's all very well, but if you've got a group of friends at home who think you're a bit of a C-word, right, and, and the two... He didn't mean to use that word, he didn't use... I said, no, man, I'm telling you, right, I'm not... I don't, listen, whatever they said, do you think you've got... If you've got a bunch of people, like I have, yeah. that think you're a bit of a... And he didn't. He didn't have any mates like that. He didn't have anyone to bring him down to earth, or anyone to, you know, to give him maybe unself authenticity you know yeah. and the question was it was worth saying the question yeah, yeah. you know it's pushing it a bit but that is what the beauty of my life at the moment i think is is that i do have that circle of authentic mates who think if i'm being a bit of an idiot they will bring me down to earth straight away you know what i mean and vice versa and that is a level which i'm really happy to have reached you know what i mean based on the people i know making me you know they say that you're based you're you're, you're judged on your friends yeah. well listen i'm very happy to be judged by my friends really more than ever in my life love that mate that's a that's a brilliant way to wrap up i think like I, I've, I've listened to he's just done an interview actually with Stephen bartley gabby van oh is he yeah, yeah, yeah i listened he's to all that. right he's all right yeah yeah, yeah. but it, it's, it's interesting because so, I, I, I guess you get to that stage or whatever and how many people he's surrounded with He's not surrounded by many people. He's, no, he's no. got Vayner Media, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Which is, well, I suppose, that is a support network. Well, I guess, like you said, true friends. But actually, how many of them are people that just blow smoke up his ass? If that well, is the well, we'll see case. because because uh, there's an event in Dubai in March when I get back from Canada, and the organisers saying you've got to do a, a fireside chat with Gary Gary V. I said, wow. well, we have a bit of history, mate. Do you know what I mean? Well, let's just let's just see if he's a man. If he will, if he will, if he will be interviewed by me. Based Love on what that. I just told you, I have a feeling he won't. Wow, I have a wow. feeling he won't. Yeah, mate, awesome. Well, look, I, I could talk to you. I know, you know, you, you, I could speak to you till you go away, probably for a few well, days. Vice versa, man. Don't but, worry about you not being good at this. You're brilliant, mate. Uh, listen, I, I, I'm grateful. I, I've, I've loved it. Like I said, that first time we met, and you know, we just clicked with someone. I sat there and had lunch, and I went away, and I was like. Can't wait to get you on. I'm so versa. grateful for you for you coming on. Look, we're going to finish always. As and I'm grateful for the opportunity. Mate, Thank you. You're very kind. And look, let's um, let's finish with our quick five. Go questions. on and embarrass me. What one piece of advice do you give to your teenage self? Uh, grow up a little bit quicker. Brilliant. Brilliant. Who has inspired you in your career and why? Bob Dylan. Why? Because he taught me about love. And he taught me about literature and he taught me about words. He taught me about poetry and he turned me from a punk rocker into a hippie. Amazing. Bob Dylan. Dylan always. I played him earlier downstairs. Really? They're playing a, a track off Blood on the Tracks, which was his, oh my God, maybe my book is my Blood on the Tracks moment because Dylan wrote his best album after he got divorced. Shelter from the Storm, that's what it was. Great. That's a great Shelter album. Shelter from the Storm, what a tune, what a tune. Can you recommend book or podcast to our listeners that have had an impact on you? Recently, I would say, uh, oh, what's it called? It's, it's, what's it called? Um, it's called by Edward Chancellor, written in 2022, hardback, and it's called The Price of Time, um, which is about interest rates over history, all the way back to Iraq and what they should be, what they shouldn't be. Uh, and on the time element, uh, the physicist, what's his name, Rossetti, mm. it's called The Order of Time, which completely changes things on its head. So time goes faster or slower in the Himalayas than it does in the Dead Sea. And 
we're on a weird, weird planet where time time doesn't exist in the universe. It only exists here because of gravity. I'm not a physicist. Mm. But that rocked my world, that all of these kind of Truman showisms that we live may be just exactly that. Wow. Or maybe it's just the Truman Show. <laughs> it's a great <laughs> film. Hey, final one. Go on. What is your one rule for living a fulfilled life? Authentic, Brentford FC, <laughs> motorbikes, travel and love. And friendship. Mate, I love it. Listen, um, I honestly, it's been such a pleasure to get to know you, and, I, and I'm first. so grateful for you coming on. Motorbikes, we didn't even touch on, and we need to. And we're, we're, oh yeah, let's go for this. Let's, let's me and you need to get let's on a bike. Let's go, go on a bike. Oh yeah, somewhere. Let's go. Let's I'm, go to Croatia. I'm in. I'm in. Let's do it. Listen, I wish you all the best with the book. Thank I'm, you. It's going to be epic. I'm sure. I can't wait to read it when it's out. And um, I'll give you a copy. Mate, I'd love to. And signed, thank, hopefully. Always. <laughs> Thanks for inviting me. I've had a really nice time. Mate, it's been awesome. And that, as they say, is a wrap. This is the County Business Talks podcast, produced by H2 Productions.